And now I want to just briefly introduce Shen Min, who has now become a seriously famous artist, has got the most beautiful studio in Beijing, and Dr. Thomas Berghaus, who uh, uh, did his PhD, Dutch originally, as you can see from the name, um, on uh, performance art in China. And then I have to remember how to pronounce it now, Chen Ying, who uh, is um, at the Australian National University, a postdoctoral fellow uh, at the Australian Centre for China in the World. There are many um, old friends in this room. Um, it's wonderful to be here and see so many of you here. Um, I'd like to express special thanks to Jean Sherman um, and Claire Roberts, um, who've um, uh, brought so many old friends um, together for this event. So I want to start from um, uh, by talking about uh, works that uh, relate to this exhibition because um, that's what's brought us all here today and was, is, relates to Go Figure. We, um, the Chinese um, translation for Go Figure is Xiang uh, Xiang. Um, we thought about this for a long time. I, this is me talking now. Um, so Xiang means, uh, is one of the words in the uh, phrase for portraiture. And, and the word Xiang um, means to think. So the Chinese words mean to think about portraiture, but in fact the word Xiang for portrait is included in the uh, character for thinking. Um, the only difference is it's got a mind or a heart radical underneath. So you've got the idea of the portrait being in the mind already. So, so in Chinese it works very well um, and was an equivalent for the very, you know, how to translate the very difficult um, and multivalent kind of phrase go figure. So if we just look at the exhibition from the point of view of the Chinese title, it's already a very interesting concept. So from, from a Chinese perspective, if we look at these two characters, um, it, uh, the two characters open up um, quite wonderful and rich territory. Um, maybe um, richer even than the Chinese, uh, the English title, Go Figure. And so if you really analyze these um, two characters that comprise the Chinese title, there is a kind of um, philosophical, deep philosophical kind of um, subtext. Um, and so to have a title that has a um, philosophical kind of underpinning or a, you know, this, this layer um, is very appropriate uh, when talking about contemporary Chinese art. Um, uh, because in fact you can't speak very clearly or plainly or directly about so many things in China in particular. So if you are too specific, too explicit, then it's very, um, it, it's, you can run into difficulties. Yeah, so you, you'll find that many people use these indirect 
uh, ways um, that give them plenty of room to manoeuvre um, as, a, as, a, as part of their working process. So um, this is a very, um, very good um, and appropriate episode title. Yeah. 在我这次参加这个展览的作品本来不是今天我们看到的这些作品。So as we've heard from Jean's introduction, um, the work that was originally proposed um, for this exhibition isn't the one that we um, have in this exhibition. 刚才金可能刚才已经跟大家介绍了这个这一个有一个很长的故事。So we, I, uh, Jean's already gone into some of the background um, of why this is the case, um, so I don't want to overlap. So I brought a CD with a lot of my works in them, but I, I really want, with the time constraint, I really want to focus on um, works that are relevant to the show um, and to what we're discussing today. And so I'm going to focus my comments on um, this work that I created in 2006, which Jean referred to, called The Great Corpse. So for the reasons that Jean outlined um, today, uh, sadly we can only view this work through the images that I'm showing you. It's only, only do we find um, uh, in socialist countries that there is this practice of preserving the corpse. Of political leaders. So China um, um, followed suit in this practice and so turned the corpse of Mao Zedong into a specimen. So we're looking at um, the crystal um, cover of Mao's um, sarcophagus. 然后这个作品的制作过程，我简单跟大家介绍一下。So I'd like to um, briefly outline the process of uh, creating this work. 我是把毛泽东的尸体从水晶棺里抽离出来，放在一个呃青石床上。So what I did, I, 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 in creating the work, I removed, uh, in effect, uh, Mao Zedong's body from this crystal sarcophagus and placed him on a hospital, clinical hospital trolley. And why I did this was because um, on two occasions each year, Mao's body is actually taken out from the mausoleum um, and placed on a trolley for so there are um, expert, expert groups of people who undertake um, uh, uh, processes to prevent uh, further decay and putrefaction. So this photograph, uh, this image was taken in my studio. Um, uh, ever since I produced this work there, I have not been able to find an appropriate kind of, well, it hasn't been displayed. So there aren't um, that many photographs as a result. So uh, in, uh, when Mao was living, um, he was, of course, um, uh, a figure who, who was much um, admired and, and worshipped. 
但不管你有多伟大，你死了以后，它都变，都会变成一堆物质。呃，每个人都是平等。So, but no matter what happens、um, when you die, you become、um, a physical. You know, you you become like everyone else.、Um, you are left.、Um, it's ju- it's your body that's left. This physical、um, thing. 把一个国家领导人做成一个标本，供大家观看，这是社会主义的一个专利。So it is perhaps a sort of a characteristic of、um, socialism that、um, that a, a revered leader, political leader, is transformed after death into a specimen that people then view, go to view. But I don't know whether Mao himself would be happy with this practice. From my own perspective, I think this is a very disrespectful act to、um, to undertake、um, for someone. This is only a political need. So this really,、um, this whole process、um, is is what、um, the ruling party, a, a dictator,、um, dictates as as necessary for the、um, the larger political and social、um, environment. 那么我查了很多呃很多关于毛泽东就是处理毛泽东尸体的一些资料。So in the process of doing this work,、uh, creating this work, I did a lot of research、um, related to、um, what actually went, you know, the process of preserving Mao's body or embalming. 也通过各种关系找一些参与这项工作的一些人进行了一些采访。In fact, I tracked down、um, a number of people. Who actually worked had worked on Mao's、um, body and、uh, interviewed them, making the great shame、um, is that there is no、um, visual or documentary record. I wasn't able to make any kind of notes or record it in any way. Mao's body production process is to take his stomach and then take his intestines and put them in the Fuhrer Mausoleum. So what happened?、Um, what the expert, you know, what happened to Mao's body after he died was that he was cut open,、um, his internal organs removed,、um, and preserved in formaldehyde. 然后再用那个浸泡过福尔马林药水的棉花，再把肚子撑起来，然后再，呃，让医生再缝起来。And so then、um, his、uh, the internal cavity of his body was stuffed with cotton wool soaked in formaldehyde. Um, and、uh, that replaced the internal organs, and then he was stitched up by a surgeon. So this work,、um, in, in making this work, I, I very carefully,、um, you know, followed the procedures that I was told、um, Mao underwent,、um, and recreated that process. 然后他的，我们把毛泽东的尸体从水晶棺里面抽离出来，放在停尸台上。然后呢，他的水晶棺里面就放呃放的是他的呃党旗，还有他的就非常经典的制服，还有他的背心裤衩、袜子、鞋子。嗯。And so、um, the 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 work removes、um, Mao Zedong from his、uh, sarcophagus,、uh, places him on this、um, hospital trolley, and then inside the sarcophagus, I've placed the、um, The Chinese flag,、um, and then a formal set of his clothing,、um, including his、uh, a singlet,、um, his military-style underpants, socks,、um, his pair of shoes,、uh, all neatly folded, all of his、um, his garments.
所以这个作品展出的时候是分两部分。这个是因为我们照片很少，肯定要去那个瑞士的呃他的仓库是吧？他拍了几张这个在锡克的仓库里的几个照片。There are very few, as I said, um, photographs of this work because it hasn't been formally displayed. Um, so I'm just showing you this work, which um, which, I, which Claire Roberts um, photographed um, uh, when she viewed the work um, in Switzerland in Sig's uh, warehouse. This photograph is when we just finished this work. In the So this uh, photograph was taken in the studio just after. Um, the piece had been finished. So every hair was individually attached. So when I um, looked over this work after it had been completed, um, I was very satisfied with the result. Um, with the exception of one particular area of Mal's body. Yeah. So and um, so for for applying the hairs in uh, Mao Zedong's um, pubic area, the um, hairs had been curled um, by the uh, you know, people who are working with Shenzhen. Um, and so um, Shenzhen was very kind of focused on the detail of this, and so he asked, um, you know, questions about, you know, the process of, of creating these hairs, um, and he, he was told by the people who were his assistants um, that they had to resort to this because they couldn't buy that kind of hair on the kind of open market. <laughs> so I, because I am a perfectionist and I was very unhappy with this very important detail of Mao's, you know, the representation of Mao's body. Um, so I went and um, bought a set of tweezers and um, plucked out my own hair. <laughs> so this kind of work you can see I could only do one a year, otherwise I'd be kind of completely stripped. <laughs> So when I, um, a journalist who I was talking to um, saw an image of this work and um, I told him this story and he said, well, in fact, that, that makes um, the work even more interesting, that um, old Shen's um, pubic hair um, has been attached to old Mao's body. Um, this is kind of extraordinary. So I think this, uh, this actually raises a quite serious point, um, and that is the attitude that the artist takes to his or her own work. Uh, so, I mean, you know, that you can see the, the, the closeness of the, the relationship between the artist and uh, his or her work. Mm. Um, and this was a very cost-effective way of uh, dealing with my problem. 
因为是时间有限，很多作品可能不能今天不能展示给大家。那么我呃只介绍一一件最近参加呃乌克兰上呃乌克兰双年展的一件作品，还有现在这个作品呢在广州三年展上正在展出，是用火箭残骸做的一件作品。是哪？哦，那个火箭残骸。So because、uh, our time is very limited, um, I'm really only going to focus on this and one other work.、Um, a work that、uh, was in the Auckland、uh, Triennale and is currently、um, included in the Guangzhou Triennale,、um, which uses... This is the Shenzhou Xinjou, right? Oh, not. Shenzhou Liu Hao. Yeah, which um, uh, includes uh, fragments from the Shenzhou No. 6 rocket、uh, pieces that fell to Earth. So I was able to track down four fragments from the Shenzhou Number Six rocket. 大家都知道这个，就是呃，宇宙飞船，它是把这个宇航员带到宇宙上。It's earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Let me show. Yeah. We we all know that rockets like the Shenzhou Number Six rocket transport people into outer space. 火箭它是一个推进器，把宇宙飞船送到轨道上以后，它就一节节脱落，从天上掉下来。So as part of this process of、um, ascent, of course,、um, bits of the rocket、um, are no longer used, necessary for for the ascent, and so、um, they're discarded and and the fragments fall to earth. 然后呃，用差不多同样的材料，就是加工了一些铆钉。Mm. So I um, used a、uh, similar kind of uh, material um, to um,、yeah. join these pieces together. So I chose、um, a text from the Book of Revelations,、um, you know, referring to the end of the, you know, end of the world,、um, uh, to, in, you know, to include in this work. 我我选择的是英文盲文，因为每种语言呢，它的盲文是不一样的。So I chose to translate have this translated into English Braille。在展览的时候，我们是把每一个观众都当成盲人。So um in the exhibition, we were really treating uh the audience members, the visitors as blind people。没有没有人能看懂啊。So no one could actually you know unless they understood Braille could could understand the text。事实上，人类面对宇宙就是盲人。In fact, my attitude is that we are all blind, you know, you know, in the face of the universe, the enormity of the of the universe. 我们征服宇宙实际就只是了解它的呃很表面的一个现象。So we really only know a tiny little bit, really, about the you know the significance and the functioning of the universe. 呃，实际跟中国的一个预言一样，就像盲人摸象一样。Yeah, so I mean it's very similar to a, a Chinese, you know, proverb, you know, that um, you know, you get a sense of um someone from you know feeling their their face. 但是真有真真真正的盲人能摸到上帝的声音，因为他是从天上掉下来的。Um, so it's only with this work, it's only people who really are blind who can read the work. I mean, literally. Read the work um, um, on that's been attached to these、uh, pieces of the Shenzhou rocket that's fallen from the universe to the earth.
。但是当盲人读出它的内容的时候，我们听到的是世界末日。Uh, but when um, a blind person reads this text, they realize that what they're reading about um, is about the, the end of the world as we know it. This is Kaifu Binali. Now you know Binali. Yeah, so these are installation shots from um, the display at the Open Binali. Where was it? Ukraine. Oh, sorry, Ukraine. Oh, sorry, Ukraine. Sorry. Oh, Ukraine. Yeah. I, yeah. Sorry. So now um, I want to finish with um, just uh, a few words about um, a documentary. I mean, every year now, Wolf and Drama. Uh, every year I, I make a documentary film. So I, I particu in particular wanted to refer to um, my work in this area because uh, Ying Chen is talking about ethics and documentary film. So there's of course no time to show you the whole of the documentaries of course that I've been making or one of them. Um, so I'll just show you um, a couple of images, stills from, from the documentaries. So what I'm going to sh uh, show you are some stills from my first documentary film. So when I uh, was visiting uh, the northeast of China, an area close to where I grew up, um, I was uh, having dinner with some friends and they mentioned this particular village, a particular village to me. No, no, no. I should show you So I went to this village that um, I, I thought sounded very interesting and took a whole lot of photographs and some video footage. So um, I was photographing people who um, were descendants of uh, Russian uh, people who were living in the area. So there are 2,000 people in this village and 75% of, of them um, have some Russian um, ancestry. So they, they are living in um, a remote part of China that's very close to the Russian border. So in this area, um, it's winter for half of the year um, and you know, it's very cold and the uh, river freezes over. So there is a history of over a hundred years of intermarriage um, between these people and uh, Chinese people, or people living, or you know, um, Han Chinese. Uh, 
So this is um, the title, I am Chinese, and this is um, one of the images stills from the documentary. So in the aftermath of war, um, you know, the First and Second World War, there were a lot of refugees and uh, many people fled to this area um, and intermarried. So, of course, people's religious, um, you know, faith is, is also very diverse. I mean, there are some people who are Christian and others who, who are Buddhist. And the diversity is also reflected in what they eat. You know, some eat noodles and others eat bread. Yeah, everything is diverse. I mean, the people themselves um, are culturally diverse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the, um, in the, during the Cultural Revolution, because they looked like foreigners, um, the whole village was regarded as a village of spies. So, you know, they, they, their life was very strange. Because of the way they looked, um, you know, they were, they, they were kind of ostracized. So the elders would always uh, say to the you know, um, young people of marriageable age that you must find a Chinese person to marry so that you can change the look of your face, that, so that you look more Chinese, your, your children will look more Chinese. Yeah. But you know, of course, this is this is a situation that no one is in control of. Whether in fact the face will look, the face of a child will end up looking more Chinese. This is something that is beyond our control. So many of these uh, people, because of their life experience, you know, have a desire to uh, look like and be regarded as uh, uh, as Chinese. Thank you. Thank you very much. So thank you all for coming, and um, Jean, thank you for having me. Uh, I was reflecting on this forum indeed as well. We now know the context to which this particular discussion is linked to the exhibition, but I also see a lot of the work uh, that Jean and Brian, of course, are doing linked to ethical dimensions, um, both with SCAF, um, the art that we see, but also with uh, Voiceless as a very important organization. So I just want to raise that point. And Shashamin, I, I really enjoyed seeing that work. As soon as you showed it, I was wondering whether there were sort of self-portrait kind of context there as well, and you raised it. <laughs> it is embedded. Now, the discussion that we're having today is a very important discussion. It's very pertinent today, as it has always been. There was a recent discussion in the Manifesta Journal of Contemporary Curatorship on curatorial ethics as well. It raised important questions of ethics as a defining quality of curating and how the curator could be understood as the ethical subject par excellence. For this discussion, I will first draw on my own thoughts on the notion of what I propose is thinking through ethics in art or artistic ethics which should be linked as well to what I've considered in the past as situational ethics, kind of pun on relational aesthetics, but really a system of ethics that draws on specific contexts from art practices 
rather than on moral codes imposed on art from other domains, social, political, religious, law-based, or on universal moral codes. Can art be critical and therefore by definition ethical in having an effect, I'm not talking effect, but effect on social and political change? Curatorial ethics can in itself be considered a tautological proposition as curating would essentially interact with ethics as well. The same is the case for ethics in art. After all, both the curator and the artist are human beings and should therefore be ethical in their practice and in their conduct. The discussions are not new and can be linked to discussions that are held throughout time. In the 1970s as well, raising demands that are held to apply everyone on, uh, as a moral being and therefore apply equally to artists. Second, demands that apply particular but not exclusively to artists as social participants with certain significant control and influence. And third, those that apply uniquely to artists since these, de uh, since these demands de derive from the peculiar character of the task and powers of the artist especially where they consider their work in relation to others, to the public domain, and to the culture and society as an important context for artistic and curatorial practice. They may, however, be particularly relevant for our understanding of contemporary art. If the question of what is contemporary art connects to the question, as Terry poses it, how are we to know and show what it is to live in conditions of contemporaneity? Beyond finding our own individual answer as human beings who are part of a larger collective of social human beings, I would say we need to always attach ethical responsibility towards others in our desires to living under the conditions of contemporaneity. Contemporary art should therefore be more than our individual desire to be connected to the contemporary. Sigmund Baumann, an important Polish sociologist, states that the satisfaction of desire considers the individual responses to an ethics of consumption. Ethical consumerism considers externally driven codes towards empowering ethically informed consumption choices through information on corporate statistics on such things as human rights, ethical rights, and ecological sustainability. Yet as Bauman considers, the ethics of consumption only becomes possible by suspending our own responsibility towards others. To consider ethical dimensions beside practical aesthetic ones means to move from the effective quality of art, including in relation or participatory art, to considering the effectiveness of art in real social and political terms. For art to be political, it needs to have consequences be effective. For art to be ethical, it needs to take in social responsibility by considering the effect that it has on others. This means aiming to address where and when art reflects on real social and political change. And this, we have to ask, can the same be said of artworks as well? The discussion today starts with that term, in the name of art, a critique initially. It links to early 2001, when the Chinese Ministry of Culture came with an official directive preventing performance, biaoyan, 
and exhibitions that openly display blood, savage acts, and obscenity and that are being conducted in the name of art. Works of this sort were considered to mark a violent trend in the development of contemporary Chinese art. Um, whereby, according to the art critic Wang Nanming, the brutal performances carried out in the name of art can only become an opponent to be criticized by modern free society theorists. The directive handed down by the Ministry of Culture, which responded to a number of extreme performance works involving acts of actual or simulated violence to human and animal bodies staged when China, uh, within China towards the end of the 1990s, was first issued in February 2001. It was published in the March issue of Xiandai Yishu Contemporary Art, a semi-official art magazine sponsored by the Sichuan Cultural Federation. The publication of the directive is significant and a highly unusual event and even controversial act as well. On the systematic control of mass media in China, what would have generally not expected um, to have uh, such a document to appear in a semi-official art magazine, but instead be restricted to internal distribution, Nebu Faxing, or at least domestic distribution, Guonai Faxing, within the art system following the directive's initial announcement. So the directive was uh, issued by the Ministry of Culture, and it calls upon the level of the official bureaucracy with responsibility for correct public conduct of art practices in, in China to criticize and curtail unacceptable performance practices and exhibition. As a consequence, this, may be, uh, this made the director vulnerable to defiance by anyone who chose to ignore standard policy procedures on reporting problems in art and cultural production in China. One month after the directive was published, Wang Zhong, chief editor of the leading art journal Mei Shu, issued an editorial uh, inviting fine art theorists, as he said, uh, Mei Shu Li Lunjia, artists Hua Jia, and other responsible people to voice their opinion on eating people and so-called performance art, which has recently caused so much controversy across the country. This editorial was followed by a lavish critique on performance art by the art critic and artist Chen Lusheng, entitled The Insanity of the Avant-Garde. Chen started his article with a true story, recalling how an avant-garde artist committed suicide in the name of art by hanging himself in his home in the city of Datong on the 1st of January 2000. Chen reports that on the wall of his apartment, the artist left a comment stating how the end result of art is the question of whether to preserve life or not. In what was, according to Chen, the most explosive year of the Chinese avant-garde, this opened up the first window towards shocking people. The unnamed artist mentioned by Chen Lusheng was Zhang Shunquan. Zhang was born in 1955 in Henan province and was a member of the WR art group, uh, Weiar Xiaozu. The letters Weiar, they stand for Wu Ren, five people, representing the five initial members of the group. Not long after the group's founding, one of the members died in a gas poisoning. On the 5th of February 1989, Zheng Chengquan, together with Zhu Yuan, uh, Yan Guang, and Ren Xiaoying, staged a rapping performance at the opening of the China Avant-Garde Exhibition, the China Art Gallery in Beijing. One year earlier, September 1988, 
Wei Guanqing had staged a performance series in the city of Wuhan entitled Suicide uh, Project, which featured the then art student Ma Liuming, now a very well-known uh, artist. The performance series made reference to Albert Camus' The Myth of Sisyphus, taking a starting point Camus' assertion that there is only one truly serious philosophical problem, and that is suicide. Unlike the stage suicide in Wei Guanqing's project, which focused on abstract philosophical speculation, the suicide of Zhang Shengquan on the 1st of January 2000 can be considered to place art in direct contact with life and the death of the artist. It draws on clear ethical questions as well, including in its proposition as art. An obituary containing extracts from Zhang Shengquan's diary was published uh, online seven years earlier, uh, seven years after the uh, artist's death, sorry. Here Zhang is quoting as writing how, I was falling, in, uh, after 1991, I was falling into the greatest form of uh, spiritual disillusionment, even having to contemplate absurdity as the final outcome, so that thereafter my work became intentional. The obituary also states that after 1992, Zhang started to break his contact with the artist's uh, outside world, living in increased solitude before finally committing suicide on the 1st of January 2000. In his final notes, written on a wall in his apartment, Zhang claimed that art has already become something willful, gui, culture is the only kind of strategy, suilue, man becomes departed from himself. The question now is what it takes to become a respectful elder, to become nothing. In his critique, first published as a series of essays in Meishu, uh, Fine Arts Magazine, and then in 2002 as a book with the prestigious National People's Publishing Agency, Renmin Shubanshi, Chen Lusheng def uh, defines seven categories of unacceptable action mirroring classification set out in the directive issued by, by the Ministry of Culture. The categories are listed as branding, bloodletting, meat cutting, cannibalism, tapping human oil, playing with corpses, killing animals, each of which is linked to specific examples of performance and installation art practices in China, having been conductively uh, unjustifying, uh, justifiably, according to Chen, in the name of art, yi shu de mingyi. These performances and the public criticism of the avant-garde that followed prompted further nationwide discussions on performance art, avant-garde art, experimental art, and the violent trend in contemporary Chinese art. They could become part of a nationwide quest to ensure the correct conduct and correct dissemination of contemporary Chinese culture and society. They even become part of an international strategy for the promotion of Chinese culture and society and art. The critique of the supposedly degenerate nature of performance art and exhibitions marking the violent trend in contemporary Chinese art was used towards a regeneration of public morality as well as the expansion of the order of cultural capital in China and beyond. An understanding of its contextual standing provides an important resource for examining the effect of contemporary art in China. Now that effect we can link as well to how this decree was being used. In 2004, the organizers of the second Dadao Life Art Festival held at Soho, Xiandaicheng business complex opposite the Beijing World Trade Center. Xu uh, Yuan and Chan, uh, Wang Chuyu, the organizers of that event, 
Um, we're asked by the Soho management to sign a statement that the festival would not showcase any further performances that openly displayed nudity, bloodletting, or self-harm after performances of this sort were featured during the second day of the event. The performances in question included nudity in a work by Xiang Xishi, an artist, the artist and festival organizer from Xi'an, as well as grafting of a small tube of sediment from the Yellow River inside the abdomen of Yang Zhichao. And one can see on the right-hand side at the top there, one of the Soho officials standing there looking at this performance. It was not, however, these particular performances involving nudity and minor implant surgery that finally provoked active censorship of the remainder of the festival. Security personnel did not call in the management of the Soho complex until the last performance of the second day by Liu Xiangjie, uh, an artist from Xi'an, which involved a blind street beggar musician playing a traditional Chinese violin, an erhu, to whom the audience were invited to hand pieces of gold leaf. The security personnel argued that a street beggar musician had no place inside the wall compound of the Soho business complex. The performance, it doesn't count as ways can thus be understood as having drawn attention to deep divisions between rich and poor in China and the position of public space, an arguably far more incidentary mix than acts of blood, uh, bodily exhibitionism and self-harm. Such acts of censorship bring the discussion of controversies and restrictions surrounding the public conduct and public display of contemporary art into closer proximity within highly contentious notions of what in China is also discussed is publicness. I won't go into too much detail, but publicness is really uh, connected to a democratization uh, aspect of contemporary art in China by leading art critics. So both the performance by Liu Xiangjie and the second Dadao Performance Art Festival and the suicide by Zheng Shengqian uh, on uh, the 1st of January can be understood to serve as examples of the repositioning of this publicness in relation to contemporary Chinese art, really the public aspects of showcasing contemporary art, the public links as well, the link to others. Both acts challenge social political notions on the private and the public by reclaiming public space and organs of public opinion to resituating of private acts and, uh, as public conduct and public recital as exclusive acts of performance, as well as doing them in the name of art. They therefore cause a flood of public opinion uh, to rise again and regenerate the organ of public opinion. Thus they uh, reconstitute the significant role of publicness in relationship to contemporary art. And I would argue here today, they reconsider that ethical dimension as well through the public discussion and through that relationship to others. A critical role of experimental art in China becomes particularly evident in a group of young artists who have become involved in staging the exhibition Post-Sense Sensibility, Alien Bodies and Delusion, which was held on the 9th of January, 1999, in a rented basement space at the Pioni Residential Complex in Beijing. Post-Sense Sensibility sought to reflect on the harsh living conditions of a new generation of artists to whom, for whom art had not yet developed as a means for livelihood. As Cho Jia, one of the co-curators, recalls, their work became a spiritual need for a vehicle 
for social recognition. Consequently, without commercial motivation, they did not pursue, pursue aestheticism through their works, but tended to be blunt and even brutal. This resulted in a number of artists starting to produce works that involved the use of animals, human body parts, and even entire corpses, which led the artists to become widely criticized for promoting a new violent trend in Chinese contemporary art. Amongst these artists whose work were included in post-sensibility were Sun Yuan and Zhu Yu. So I'll just reflect then uh, quickly on the work uh, of Zhu Yu and Sun Yuan. Zhu uh, Yu started to use the body in this piece, so earlier than that exhibition in 1998, and made the first contact with uh, the hospital managers. He approached a couple of hospitals uh, to work in his proposal with two bodies. Uh, he ended up uh, uh, working after very long discussions with the medical personnel, and in particular one doctor, uh, in which the discussions were very much ethically driven and also relating art and ethics directly. Because of course, for the hospital doctor, uh, in using a body uh, in an act of art, his experience with art was minimal. He may have visited uh, the Great Wall one time, or may have gone to one of the Guohua exhibitions, ink and brush painting. Uh, but indeed, suddenly to be asked to use real bodies in a work of art, in the name of art, uh, was for him quite confronting, but they had lengthy discussions. The two bodies used by Zhu Yu were two victims of a car accident in Beijing, anonymous victims. These people were from other provinces. Uh, so when they die, they disappear, because their identity, their hukou, is linked to that other province. If you die in a car accident in Beijing, your hukou is not there. That's it. Your family doesn't even know who you are. So that's what Zhu Yu was uh, doing with Retrieve and Assemble Knowledge, Granson's foundation. He wanted to preserve the brain of these two people and sort of get them to exist beyond their death and their disappearance. Um, the work was linked to a display uh, and to ethical questions of uh, you know, consumption as well. Even a pun was made on those ethical questions in Art for Sale in 1999, where at the top you see little jars in which the brains uh, grounded were sold uh, and some people apparently purchased. Uh, I was offered a jar by Zhu Yu when I visited him, but I said I couldn't bring it into Australia because of uh, regulations that we have. No food items can be brought into Australia. Um, the other work, and this is the work that comes uh, into tie with that directive of the Ministry of Culture, is by Sun Yuan and Peng Yu. Sorry, uh, there should be an end there. Uh, and especially the image on the left is an image that is uh, also distributed as an artwork, as a, uh, as a photography documenting uh, the piece, but also as a, as a sold artwork. Uh, here you see images that are also on Sun Yuan and Peng Yu's website, which are much more sort of documenting the actual performance the reality of the event itself, linking the body, linking these two fetuses uh, to Sun Yuan and Peng Yu. Uh, Sun Yuan in post -sense Sensibility showed this work, Honey, a second edition. He showed it previously in an exhibition, uh, Food as Art. Um, it was very basic instructions, making a bed of one and a half meters by three, putting a big piece of ice, and then lay a fetus on the eye so that only his face and four limbs touch the surface uh, to add some uh, spectacle to it or to add some 
uh, newness to it, uh, a face of a man was also added to it. And those uh, are these stillborn fetus and indeed is the face of a dead man through, uh, purchased through a hospital. Um, so these indeed raise questions. They raise questions as well on the definition that, say, Sun Yuan uh, gives to this work, a very standard uh, use of the body as a tool in the production of an installation versus, say, Zhu Yu, um, who often with his work considers broader uh, aspects of morality and broader aspects of how we take morality as well. Um, Zhu Yu pocket theology is linked to Holbach, a, a German uh, 18th century uh, critical thinker. Um, and it actually reflects on moral codes that we connect to religion, but then sort of how we should actually not connect them to these external dimensions, but how we should embed them in our own being and in our own relationship uh, to ourselves. So I'll just finish with the statement, and we can bring up the statement again as we have the panel uh, of eating people that then makes a, con uh, uh, a comment on those moral conducts. Uh, and how one uh, should challenge the universal morality of not eating people uh, by uh, an, having an actual law against eating people, which did follow, as I understand, uh, this act, uh, which we still don't know if it's real or not, um, but it followed this act and the distribution of photographs of this act of eating people as well. So we can discuss that further. Thank you. Troubled world um, it is, and we've just seen suicides and eating people and using, you know, dead babies. And I think um, what is, you know, is, is at issue is really um, in a world that's being plagued with violence and with. Um, Inequality and with totalitarian regimes, and uh, you know, in China, what you know, so the, the the sort of what's in the background of all this is also Chinese politics, and so the question really becomes how to how to make art in such a troubled world. Um, in, in the recent days, there's a lot of debate on literature and politics uh, regarding the Nobel Prize winner of uh, this year, Mo um, Yan, uh, a Chinese. Uh, a Chinese writer, and uh, you know, there are people supporting his magical realism and supporting his playful um, sort of recreations uh, and creations of, of the Chinese materials. But there are also people criticizing him, uh, such as in Ai Weiwei, the, the activist artist, criticizing him for being not in the struggle. Uh, you know, being too sort of on the side and playful and so on. So, so it's, it's a really a question that engages um, a lot of Chinese critics and, and Chinese people in general. And uh, my, my talk today um, has, has to do with this dilemma. Um, so since my um, research area is in documentary cinema, I want to focus today on a particular aspect of social responsibility. That is the, respon uh, the relationship between the artist and other people involved in the making of art um, and you know, extending to also the wider society and uh, you know, the social 
sort of the, the social um, reception of art. Um, while an exhibition of art is more likely an exhibition of objects, paintings, videos, installations, um, it's worth remembering that art is much more than objects. Uh, it's a social practice often involving more people than the artists alone. It has a production process and uses materials from historical and physical world that we all live in. Um, and you know, what was really interesting is um, you know, in, in Thomas's talk, we see that and the artists are driven to use uh, materials either of themselves in their own lives and or they use materials of you know dead um, animals and um, sort of materials that are that are kind of discarded by the society the most vulnerable side of the society in some ways and so that also raises a question why? Why isn't there more other social engagement? Why are these channels blocked? And of course, um, you know, I, I would later argue that the political side of the things are really what, what has been driven the, um, the artists into either isolation or a very radical uh, choice of materials. Um, so, so the ethics of art, then, therefore, uh, is not only limited to the, the ethics of these objects and the messages um, that these art give us, and it, it also must take into account its production and practice. Um, so I'll show some examples. Before I go into the examples, though, I wanted to uh, just say a few preemptive words. I'm here to raise questions and not to make accusations, because I come from a country that has for too many years, too clear right and wrongs and uh, very unethical, tragic outcomes come out of an understanding, a too clear understanding of ethical issues. And so ethics for me is really about raising very fundamental questions. And also questions often don't have um, a clear answer. And it is in this wrestling with the dilemma of life that I believe art exists. And that's why we're engaged in art. Um, so these are really just questions for us to think about. So um, the first artwork, artwork I want to speak about um, is a six-minute video um, made in 2000 um, by, the, by a female um, video artist, Cui um, Xiuben, and it's called Ladies' Room, Jian. And in this video, um, a hidden camera is placed in a ladies' room in a karaoke uh, lounge in one of Beijing's posh hotels. And the, as we know, these karaoke lounges are often places where uh, sex workers would find their clients and so they would accompany uh, the male clients, sing songs, and in the end, uh, you know, provide uh, sex service as well. And um, of course, sex work is still illegal in China. And um, so, so these uh, girls um, had really no place to to rest, or you know, th th their whole presence in there is, is is somewhat illegal. And therefore, between clients having nowhere to take a rest, they would go into the restroom and they will make phone calls there. They will do their makeup changing to new profit and new new outfits and many examine themselves in the mirror um, and practice very seductive poses because it's with these you know seductive masks that they can earn their living um, and so so uh, this video I only have uh, stills um, from from the video basically um, uses this image to to you know expose uh, one reality facing Chinese woman and also to uh, uh, 
serves as a collective portrait of women in knightly professions. Um, and and the, the intent was, was of course very um, good and also Tui Shouwen later becomes an artist really working exclusively on women's issues and I find uh, her work uh, maturing and uh, you know, really commendable. But um, the, the work done with a hidden camera and onto such a vulnerable um, community of, uh, of, of illegal sex workers re really raises questions. Um, actually, this video, uh, video art um, was, was exhibited in Guangzhou Triennale in 2002, together with Zhang Huan's 12, uh, yeah, to, uh, uh, 12 square meters, which we have in Canberra in, in this exhibition, the gold figure exhibition. And uh, in 2002, these two works um, generated a legal court case against uh, them. Basically, um, an art teacher in the Guangdong Academy of Art sued um, the, a gallery for exhibiting these two works and saying that they're too obscene and they make him feel sick. And so they, they uh, did harm to you know, his being. Um, and of course, of course, this court case was then later rejected, and um, you know the, the court ruled that the gallery had no fault. Um, but in this whole discussion, very uh, no one really mentioned that there was another ethical issue going on, and you know the, the, the issue of hidden camera and of um, of the, the the use of, of these women's bodies uh, exposing them. The question is why um, why these women who who were you know whose images were taken while they were you know in the bathroom um, were not did not sue, and and I think I mean. Of, there are many reasons, but one possible reason is that they simply could not go through the legal process because they're illegal. One, as soon as they go out and say, I am violated, they are doubly violated. Um, therefore, therefore, you know, the, so, the, so, the, so the question is really this, um, if an artist being very powerless in a society, can they then eat people? I mean, I mean can they then, you know, I mean, do harm to a more vulnerable um, community, and this is. But, but but at the same time, the intention was good. It was trying to bring attention uh, to this, you know, to this reality of life. And so, so this is a question for us to think about. Six years later, a same issue happened, and this happened in a documentary film. Um, a photographer, Xu Tong, um, made a film called Wheat Harvest, and it was an incredibly powerful and bold film uh, depicting the lives of sex workers living in Beijing suburbs. And he basically lived them for more than half a year and uh, portrayed their daily lives and really showing them as you know these very powerful women in um, uh, almost. In, in the in the kind of vernacular fictions of you know late imperial China, extremely um, sort of uh, powerful, strong women uh, figures. But whether consciously or not, he also took advantage of the situation that you know this this is a basically a silent community. So without uh, instead of telling um, his 
you know, subjects and his you know, uh, sex worker friends that he was making a film. He told them that he was writing a book and wanted to you know, videotape to collect material. And therefore, when the film came out, it really created a lot of trouble for these sex workers because a lot of them didn't even tell their family members that what they were doing, but they had no other job prospects in Beijing. Um, and so, but at that time, in, uh, in this time, uh, we, had, we had NGOs um, you know, serving as spokesperson for this silent community. And so, so in Hong Kong, this film was, was uh, protested against, and, and then in the end, the film was taken out of circulation. So now we can't see this film. Um, it, 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 it's, it's taken out of circulation. That's Xu Tong in, uh, in uh, his second film, making his second film. And Xu Tong also learned the lesson. Um, to, to, and I had a long discussion about him, and I said that if you actually told your uh, subject uh, you know, what was happening, they would give their own input, and the film would become a very different one. It wouldn't be a naturalistic kind of observational cinema, but it will be a collaborative one. And it might even be formally very interesting. Can, it can be you, know, you talking, they talking, it can be you both creating something, and, and why didn't you go through that route? So I think that ethical uh, thinking Sometimes not only, that doesn't limit uh, artistic choices. At, at times, it might even broaden artistic choices by involving other people. Um, so, so I wanted to um, talk about another um, uh, painter, Liu Xiaodong, whose painting, this one, uh, Eating to, from 2000, was in uh, is in the Gold Figure uh, Canberra exhibition. Um, and so he is famous for uh, realistic portraits and not very flattering portraits of you know, collective groups. Um, he, um, he made, um, in 2004, he made a series of paintings, very huge, big paintings, called uh, Three Gorges, and, and uh, a painting uh, newly disabled populations, uh, disabled, dis displaced population um, because of the building of the, of the dam. Um, but also, he uh, collaborated he collaborated with uh, the uh, film director Jia Zhangke in 2006 in a documentary called Dong, and Dong is, is basically East, it's, it's translated into East, but it's also part of his name. And the documentary um, just followed, followed um, Liu Xiaodong's journey to Three Gorges to, to make to, to, to paint the migrant workers who were taking there, taking down buildings of the cities soon to be submerged under water. And, um, and the second half of the film also showed him uh, tour, uh, traveling to Thailand to paint sex workers in Thailand. Um, so in this film, uh, the, the question of how the painter relates to the subject was directly tackled. And uh, from the beginning, um, uh, the, the film begins actually with this image, with the image of, uh, of the, the painter looking into the, the water, looking into the landscape that will, you know, soon the water will just cover up everything, and that the, the power of the water basically unleashed by the political decision, and then uh, it, it goes to, to you know, because the, all these cities had to be taken down, so that the painter was looking at the ruin, you know, sort of stepping onto the ruin, looking at it, and then also playing with 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 the brick, and so this really, in the end, this was 
the identity of the artist. The artist looks at things. The artist goes to where there is bro brokenness, where there is damage, and try to save, try to save, uh, salvage um, from the ruin people's lives. And so he was painting. So these are the the migrant workers taking down the the, the buildings, and then uh, when they were taking a rest, they will be playing cards and so on. And then uh, the painter would paint uh, take photos of them and then paint them uh, relaxing. Um, and so this is it's a beautiful shot of uh, him painting someone who is in a squatting and how he was painting him. And then, then the camera moves from the painter slowly to the, the person who is uh, squatting there. And the person stands up and walks to the river. And then you have him looking into the river, just like the painter at the beginning of the film, looking to the mirror, uh, looking to the river. So suddenly the subject became the, you know, I mean, the subject becomes the subject. I mean, the, he became the, 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 the body that, that thinks, that looks, that makes me memories. Um, but the tragedy happened during the documentary shooting. One person, uh, one worker died in an accident, and therefore uh, the painter actually had to uh, travel to his house to deliver the photos that he has taken of this man just um, you know, days before he died. So this is what happened in his house. I'll just show a very brief, uh, um, very, very brief uh, clip. So, so this is the, the, the uh, dad of the, of the um, person who died, and this is the painter. So they're sharing a smoke, which is a very, you know, it's, it's, it's a sort of uh, object that draws people together, and it just, uh, suddenly there is a moment of sharing. And then the father, of course, was very upset. And then they're showing the photos. They're looking at the photos. I'm sorry, the quality is not very good. And then, the, uh, so this is the, the daughter. I'm a painter. I'm painting Qing Song. That's the, the wife of the, the deceased uh, worker. Look at this. And that's a painter, and he, he was very sad. So I wanted to show this because I wanted to show that, that um, here, this other artist, um, Liu Xiaodong, and, and, and in the interview I did with him, he also talked about this, and he basically said that it's ridiculous to think that art could change any social things, and art is rather a comfort to to people, and it's a way to give back the dignity to to those who are disadvantaged. And he even says that um, you know artists are like flies; they just they know where the bad eggs are in the society. They they, they just go to where where there's rotten things, and but that's all they can do. They go there, but they don't know then what to do. Um, and uh, but but of course you know there are artists who think differently um, and. For example, Ai Weiwei is someone who thinks differently. Um, he believes that art should, uh, should be active and should make social changes. And uh, Ai Weiwei got into trouble in 2008 when he, when he began to investigate in the, uh, the deaths, the, number, the numbers of uh, dead children after the, the earthquake in, China, in the Sichuan province. And he did an, uh, a number of artworks, uh, for example, this one uh, at Harvard, uh, where he, he built these uh, school bag walls, walls of school bags, and each representing a fallen um, student uh, in the earthquake. Um, and, and he also did this in Munich, 
where he, he wrote uh, with the school bags he wrote, you know, she uh, happily lived for seven years in this world. And uh, with, with these artworks, she, uh, he also organizes uh, volunteer-run investigations. He calls them citizen investigations, going to um, a, a sort of to, to investigate um, the, the actual death numbers and school building situations in Sichuan. And he got into trouble, of course. I mean, this is all very popularized. And I just want to show a few images um, in his documentary films. And then he makes two to three and four documentaries each year. Uh, they're serialized, basically uh, offering uh, people more sort of investigative and insider views. And he also uses uh, social media. So all of these become his art. Um, and so, so so he uses these materials and also um, uh, is connected to social activists, social activist groups. And of course, he got into trouble um, in in, uh, in the subsequent months. Um, so these are just from his documentaries. And I don't have time. I'll go a bit faster. Um, so so then it comes down to uh, you know, in China, it's um, we have we have a society that really needed needed analyze needed exposure and needed healing and so artists um, in their art are reacting uh, you know are responding to the society in very different ways and even where the society is is also you know defined in different ways for in different artists and it's a society that an artist must reach out to to, to find and must also organize around themselves. For example, Li Xianting, the, the white-haired man in the middle, he was um, an art critic uh, in the 1970s all the way to the present. He was really the godfather figure of Chinese art critic uh, cr criticism. And now he's, um, all, most of his energy goes into uh, building a community of documentary filmmakers and photographers and artists. And he has uh, explicitly advocated for, um, you know, for the artists to leave their secluded uh, small circles to reach out and create uh, ecology, to create a small environment, he calls it. Basically, it's still small, but it's somehow open. So the, art, the, the space of the artist must be opened because politically they are sealed, they are closed. It's very hard for them to get a hold of you know, social, social um, activism, to, be, to, to enter into different parts of society. And so, so now, um, and, and I, I'm very um, happy to hear that um, the, the Shen Xiaoming is also making docu documentary filmmakers. Um, I suppose you know, being in the powerless situation uh, in China today, there are a few <laughs> options in front of you. Either you, um, you know, close up or you, you know, go out and try to, to reach and to, to be melted into the, the crowd, so to called, uh, so called as, as one filmmaker described his experience of finding a larger community. So I'll stop here. Thank you very much. Which the dog could not reach. 
and the spectacle was watching the dance afternoon. And I was so horrified by this. Um, I felt so sick and so terrible. And I um, called a number of people and I ended up by um, getting a call from a journalist, a radio journalist, and one of my common comments, and I came easily able to speak. And I found that I could not have words to express the horror I felt. I felt so shocked and horrified that people, and we were talking about the, the consumption of art, Thomas was talking about, would come to a gallery and watch the starving dog not be able to get the food and eventually die. Anyway, the things sort of went on, there were petitions and God knows what, uh, from people all over the world, and eventually in an order to the box, It raises the question as well of the reality of it. Um, so I'm aware of it as well through stories that one hears that this is indeed happening, not only in an exhibition space, but so it, it creates an it creates an awareness that then sprungs what should be a social responsibility yeah. is to act on it. Um, and of course, the question that is often asked with if this is done, say, in an artistic context, is always the question, is this art? Um, but what we, of course, have to ask as well is, is this human? Is this human? Um, and that is an important part as well. The thing of, as well, I don't know if this particular case, but we know as well that Suiyuan and Peng Yu have done an installation for uh, a satellite event to the Beijing Biennale, the first Beijing Biennale in 2003, in which they had thread mills, uh, two on each side, I know that. Uh, with dogs standing on there and barking at each other for what I understand was several hours in a row. Wow. Um, and that, of course, could be done in the context of this exhibition in that way, 
where the ethical responsibility towards these dogs was entirely up to the artist and the curators, because there's no, say, occupational health and safety uh, involved there. So uh, my question with that work was both what type of response did it wanted to create, because I know that a lot of Sunyan and Pang Yu's work, they sprung this uh, time of post-sense sensibility where certain ethical questions are being raised as well. They sprung that into uh, spectacle. Uh, and and it's, it's a lot about sort of the fright, the initial response that one has. And then it was called CSR's yeah. sensationalism. That's I right. Want to touch it. Um, Wait, yeah. So we can move from there to ethical questions. Well, maybe just a quick comment, because I did talk, I mean, I hadn't met Sun Yuen and Pogu before this, um, um, you know, before their visit to Australia. Um, but I, call, of course, was aware of um, some of their work. And um, I did ask, you know, we did talk about, you know, the motivation behind, you know, some of their early uh, sensationalist work. And clearly, the, um, you know, young British artists, they were aware of um, the sensation exhibition. Um, but I, I, I got the strong sense, actually, talking with Sun Yun and Peng Yu, that, I mean, their work did come out of, um, you know, this kind of environment that I think Ying so eloquently um, articulated for us, you know, so what do you do in a society, you know, in an environment that really lacks moral compasses where you can, you can actually go to the hospital, you can buy these people who are kind of personalists, you know, in effect personalists, you know, and, and so, you know, how does an artist respond in that sense? And so I think, you know, we are wired to um, look at the work in a particular way and a Chinese person I think we'll see the work very differently. It's just like, you know, you can't take an exhibition from one country and take the same exhibition to, the, to another completely different country without a whole lot of contextualization. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there, you know, our reality is very different. We've got lots of rules and regulations. We live in a very regulated, you could say humane, you could say socialist, you, uh, say um, you know, environment <laughs> that is, is, is dramatically different. <laughs> So look, I, I found, you know, talking to Sun Yun and Pong Yu and asking him some quite sort of tough questions that I found that he, you know, a lot of his work, despite how shocking it was, um, there was a kind of humanitarian, largely humanitarian basis. And so I think these are challenging works. Um, I don't think they're all tokenistic. I think the sensation exhibition gave them a, a language. But I, I think it's a very different situation from London and Damien Hurst. And I don't, and I think we have to look at this um, this context, this Can uh, I just that bring Ying's a question back about. to Ying and mm -hmm. say that um, we talked about these very vulnerable people in society, mm -hmm. you know, the sex workers who were illegal to begin with, and yeah. I thought what you, how you yeah. demonstrated that was wonderful and very enlightening, Ying. But, I mean, animals and children are the most vulnerable of all. Mm -hmm. And because the yes, animals have yes. no voice, yes. and a 